Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. First John chapter 5, and uh, I want to just back up to verse 12. I don't know, some of your Bibles, maybe there's a break in your Bibles. You know, they've got paragraphs, and my Bible... The paragraph ended after verse 12, and the next paragraph was verse 13, and that's kind of the way I was kind of looking at it. I noticed there was another Bible I was looking at, and uh, and it kind of divided a little bit differently. But I want to back up to verse 12 anyways, because it kind of ties in with what we're going to be discussing in verse 13. And so verse 12 says, He who has the Son has life. That's pretty basic there. You can't get much more basic than that. That word has there is to, in the Greek, it means to have and hold. And what it implies is a continue or an ongoing possession to have something. And when in the Greek, when it's accompanied with a person as it has the son, it implies that there's some kind of a special relation or connection. For example... A husband in the Bible is known to, or excuse me, you read through the Bible and it talks about a husband to have a woman as a wife, to have a woman as a wife, Uh, or for a son to have brothers or sisters, or for a parent to have children. And so when you have that word has with something like a a wife or a a parents or, or, you know, children, there's a special connection, there's a relation that's in the Greek, implied in the Greek. What is that special relation or connection? Well, first of all, as you guys know, in any family, there's loving acceptance, right? You love each other. You accept each other. My mom used to always say, hey, blood is thicker than water, you know, and that's true, right? Uh, You love each other, warts and all. There's a commitment to one another. You're committed to one another because, hey, you're family. You know, that's another thing my mom would say, you know, your friends are going to go, but your family's always going to be there. That's true. It's true. And then, of course, cherishing one another above everything else. So that's that's kind of what's implied in this, to having the Son. And so to have the Son is to have a special relation and connection with Jesus Christ. That's why so many believers, when they're sharing with people, they say, hey, it's not a religion, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So many people are in a religion, you know, that's just a, it's a faith system for them. But we as born-again believers, no, it's, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's also a devotion and a commitment to him and to cherish him above all others. So to he who has the son. So that's what's being implied in having the son. So he who has the son has life. Now we move to verse 13, and it says, These things and we're talking about the entire, I think, the entire epistle, 1 John 5. These things, or excuse me, 1 John, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So we know who this letter was written to. It was written to believers, to Christians. And so the purpose, and John has been doing this through his whole, this entire epistle. He's been telling us, What we can know, you can know this, you can know that, we know this, we know that. There's all this confirmation. It's it's a gospel of certainty. And verse 13 is no different. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What are we talking about? We're talking about confidence, knowing that you have eternal life. That is important. How important is having this confidence? Well, I can tell you 
when you're facing the end of your life, it's going to be of utmost importance what's what's going to happen next. Um, maybe maybe if you're young, maybe you don't think about that that much, but the older you get, the closer you see, you know, there's more in the rearview mirror than there is in the windshield, and it's like, you know, hey, what happens after this? Am I prepared? And so it's of utmost importance when you're facing the end of your life. But, you know, even on the journey now, as a believer, man, as, as a person, whatever age you are, having that confidence, it is important. Why? Because it affects how you live your life. Do you know if you have eternal life or not? Uh, do you have a reservation or not a reservation? Do you, you know, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? It will affect how you live. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my son and I, uh, we went on a motorcycle journey uh, on motorcycles. Well, I guess you do a motorcycle journey on motorcycles. But anyways, <laughs> uh, we went on a journey. We went to California. He wanted to visit my mother. Not that I didn't want to visit her, but that was his purpose for going, was to see my, my 90-year-old mother in California. And I said, hey, do you want a companion to travel, a traveling buddy? <laughs> He's like, I'd love to have you go. So that's why I went. Um, but, you know, on the way, we saw some beautiful sights. And uh, one of the things that, you know, so I, I guess I'm not as free-spirited as he is. You know, he's like, hey, we'll just drive, you know, we're taking all these back roads. We'll just drive and, you know, we'll find, there'll be a hotel somewhere. And, you know, we went through a thousand little towns with granaries and stuff. And I'm driving, and I'm like, I don't see any motels. I don't see any. Or I do see a motel, and it's like one of those old, you know, the old ones in the 60s that you'd stay in. And it's like it's been turned into apartments. And you see some guy sitting out there with a beer belly, you know, and he's got a bunch of beer bottles on the ground. They're just sitting there watching you go by. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to stay there, you know. <laughs> so he was a little bit more free-spirited. I'm a little bit more like, you know, Luke, maybe we should make a reservation, kind of have a plan where we're going to go. And, you know, at least we have a, you know. And so we did that part of the time. Part of the time we didn't. And uh, when we didn't have a reservation, I don't know about my son, but I had apprehension. I'm like, oh, man, you know, where are we, are we going to be just sleeping on the road? You know, what are we going to do? Um, there's some unsurety. And if you are a person that doesn't know where you're going to spend eternity, life can be really unsure. It can be kind of scary. There can be apprehension, especially when you see what's going on in the world around today. It's like, man... There's a lot of unsurety in the world today. But if you have a reservation, man, if you know where you're spending eternity, you can enjoy life. You really can. You're not worried about, you know, all, you know, all these things of this world because, you know, this isn't your home anyways. And so you can focus on what's important and you can enjoy God's blessings in life. You really can. You don't have fear and so when you're when you have reservations, you can really enjoy this scenery. And I'm gonna just I'm not gonna show you a ton of pictures, but I want to show you a few pictures of some of the scenery we enjoy. This is in this is in the Sierra Nevada Mountains. We enjoyed that, and and uh, you know just drive, riding around, seeing the countryside. Um, we t we did all back roads, by the way. We as much as we could. We stayed off the interstate as much as we could, and uh, saw some beautiful countryside and and. Uh, uh, we only ran out of gas once, and that was me. And I, we, I actually, we're in the middle of Wyoming, and my bike's going, boom, 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 and, I, and I thought I'd turn it to reserve, and I actually hit it off instead of reserve. And I don't know if it lost prime or whatever happened, but when I flipped it back, it, it, it was like still, I'm like, wait, I know I have reserve. And it just wouldn't stay running. And so we're in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. And we're coming down a hill, 
and I think I see something, and, and about as we're pulling up, it's a gas station. In the middle of nowhere, my bike dies, and I literally rolled into the gas uh, to the literally in the middle of nowhere, rolled into a gas station, rolled up to the pump. I didn't have to push the bike or anything, and filled up, and we were fine after that. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting, but uh, you know, we just—it was beautiful. We saw some beautiful countryside, and uh, you know, the thing is, every time we called to make a reservation, and usually it was on a cell phone because we're out in the middle of nowhere, and we get a cell phone. The guy, well, let let me give you a confirmation number. I'm like, ah, can you just email it to me or text me because I'm I don't have a pen or a paper, you know. And uh, but you know they always wanted to give you the confirmation number, and when you have that confirmation number, you know you get to a place, and they say, well, we don't know, we don't know you you from you know anybody. Well, wait a minute, I've got a confirmation number. So it gives you that kind of a comfort level that you have a thing. We have a confirmation number for our reservation. It's First John 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. That's your confirmation number. Now, on our trip, some of our days were long. I took this picture when we were in Nevada on the loneliest highway in Nevada, Highway 50. And it's a beautiful ride, but it is definitely lonely. And I took this. The sun was coming up. That was a 600-mile ride that we did that day. Now, in a car, it's like 600 miles, you know, 11 hours, 12 hours. You can handle it. On a motorcycle, it takes a lot longer. And it's, it's yeah. Anyways, that day... We had a reservation. We had a reservation in Utah and uh, quite a ways through Utah, too. So we had to do 600 miles to get there. And, you know, fatigue sets in, soreness sets in in certain places, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, And, you know, towards the end, it got dark. And uh, if you don't have a reservation, if you don't have a room, that can get kind of like, oh, boy, what are we going to do now? You know, But, but we had a reservation. And so what did we do? We just pressed on. We just, you know what, things are difficult, but I know where I'm heading, and so we just press through. We had a goal to press to. This is what John writes. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You know, I I don't have to tell you that fatigue sometimes sets in, doesn't it, in life as a Christian. You get fatigued, you get worn out. Sometimes soreness happens, pain, suffering, loss of a loved one. These things happen. Sometimes you go through dark periods. It's like you don't know what's up ahead. And it can get kind of scary. But there's an end goal, right? Eternal life. And so we just persevere. And if you persevere, you're going to reach it. That's what John is expressing here. The next thing that John talks about in verse 14 and 15 is communication. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've asked someone something or you've tried to discuss something and they don't hear you. That happened to me a lot because I have hearing aids and you know, and, and a lot of times I forget that I'm supposed to have hearing aids. And so, I'm, you know, I, I'm at these places and we're calling these reservations of these hotels. And I'm like, I'm a veteran. Can I get a veteran's discount? And they're talking something. I have no clue what they're saying. And so half the time I said, Luke, here, <laughs> you talk to them. 
you know, and, and, and listen for me. But, you know, sometimes people don't hear you and it's unintentional. Other times, you've probably experienced this, where you talk to someone and they purposely ignore you. Either way, it can be kind of discouraging. That happens between people. Either they unintentionally or maybe intentionally ignore you or don't hear you. But that never happens between you and I and the Lord. He always hears us. I love that. He always hears that. Hears us. And that word confidence in verse 14, it means frankness, bluntness, and freedom of speech. Have you ever been around someone where you're afraid to say something because it's like I've got to walk on eggshells, I don't know how they're going to respond and stuff? You don't have to do that with the Lord. You can share your, you can pour out your, I mean, he knows your heart. You can pour out your heart before him. I'm frustrated, Lord. I'm angry, Lord. I mean, read David's Psalms. You know, he's, he's an emotional guy. <laughs> he wears his emotions on his sleeve. You read it in, in many of these Psalms, you know. Bust their teeth, Lord, you know, type of stuff. And, you know, those imprecatory prayers and stuff. Um, we have that freedom to speak openly with our Father in prayer. But there's a caveat here. It says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so that kind of raises the question, does that mean only if I ask the right thing, he hears me? It's like, you know, you're, you're, it's like you're praying and all of a sudden you're this, ka-ching, okay, ah, I hit it, you know, or, or what? You know, you always have to pray the right thing. Well, it's kind of interesting because Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6.18, he mentions praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't always know the Lord's will. And so I'm praying. Sometimes my prayer is, Lord, I need to know what your, what your will is in this situation because I don't know. So I'm not necessarily praying the Lord's will. Many times I'm praying to learn his will in a situation. Now, I don't know if the children of Israel were praying this point in the wilderness, but they were definitely grumbling and complaining about meat. They were getting sick and tired of manna. They wanted some meat to eat. I can relate to that. I like meat. Anyways, God heard them, and he provided quail for them, but it wasn't God's will for him, for them, I should say. And the Bible says while the meat was still in their mouths, the plague broke out, and a lot of them died. But God, God heard them, and God, God answered that. So how do we ask according to the Lord's will? Well, first of all, are we talking about his general will or his specific will? Because there's his general will for all of us as believers, and there's a specific will for each one of us. For example, a specific will. Do I buy, buy the blue car or the green car? You know, what, what, what should I do, Lord? I don't know if you pray that way. I, um, I don't usually pray that way, but, you know, some people do, Lord. Do I buy, you know, the stick shift or the automatic or whatever? Or do I get a job at Starbucks or Caribou? You know, I mean, there's these these things that that we want. What's the Lord's specific will? And the Lord has a specific will for each one of us. And I don't know what that is. I can't answer you. I have no clue what the Lord's specific will for you. But I do know what his general will is for any of us. For example, in 1 John 3, when we were there, in verse 22 to 23, And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. That's how you pray according to his will. You see, sin 
can hinder our prayers from being heard. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Proverbs 28, 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So sin can hinder our prayers from being heard. Broken relationships and lack of love for one another can hinder our prayers from being heard. Peter addresses this in the, in the, in this, in the context of a marriage. A husband and a wife, if there's, if there's a lack of love, if there's a lack of, if people aren't treating each other right in a marriage. It says this, husbands, likewise dwell with them, speaking of the wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Because that can hinder our prayer life. Matthew 5, 23, 24, Jesus said this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So not just marriages, but even in our relationships with one another. If we know that there's an offense, we, the Lord wants us to be reconciled to one another before we pray. So if my heart is right before the Lord, if my heart is right with my brother and my sister in the Lord, if I'm in the word and I'm learning what God's will is, I can have confidence of open communication with the Lord in answered prayer. The next thing in verse 16 and 17 is community. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. This is one of those difficult passages in the New Testament, in the Bible. It's one of those ones where a lot of people are like, what exactly is being communicated here? And I'll be honest with you, I don't necessarily have the answer. So what is sin leading to death or sin not leading to death? What, what kind of death are we talking about? And there are people with different opinions. Are we talking about spiritual death or physical death? If we're talking about physical death, does that mean certain sins are going to result in physical death? Well, we have a couple examples in the Bible where that actually was true. Ananias and Sapphira. They committed hypocrisy. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And what, as a result, they died at Peter's feet. We read that in the book of Acts. The believers at Corinth, Paul was addressing them. They had misused the purpose of the agape meal and communion. They were getting drunk. And some of them were getting sick and some of them were dying. There seems to be a correlation there. But I don't know that that's what John is referring to. Because if that was the case... You'd have to get a new pastor about every year, and a lot of us would be dying, right? Because how many times have we been hypocrites? How many times have we lied? How many times have we done things that had committed sins? So I don't know that that's what John is speaking about here. This is my opinion, okay? So you can take that, and I guess it'd probably be like $2.50, and you can get a cup of coffee with my opinion. But um, this is my opinion. When John is speaking about believers who have committed sin leading to death, and then he says, don't pray for them, I believe that John is referring to believers who commit apostasy, who they, they reject Jesus Christ, they turn away from the faith. 
And I know for some people that's like, wait a minute. Well, you know, I, I believe in once saved, always saved. What are you talking about? Are you, are you going against that thing? I know a person, I can't name names obviously, but I know a person who claimed faith in Christ and by all things that I could tell, fruit and everything, he was a born-again believer. As far as I knew, he was a born-again believer. He came to me once and he said, I'd like, would you disciple me? And I spent a year, at least a year, on a weekly basis discipling him. He later became a pastor. I have no doubt that he was a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He has since rejected Christ. He no longer believes in Jesus Christ as his Savior, publicly denounced Jesus Christ as his Savior. I cannot say with any level of confidence, hey, he prayed the sinner's prayer, he's going to heaven. Because he's, you know, saved, always saved, you know. I can't say that with confidence. God knows his heart, I don't. So I can't make that judgment. But I can't, I don't feel comfortable saying, hey, he's, he's, I'll see him in heaven. I, I think this is what John is talking about. If a person commits blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, in other words, they reject the Holy Spirit's urging us to have salvation through Christ Jesus, God's offer of salvation, there is no other hope for that person, saved or unsaved, I believe. How do you know whether to pray for them or not? Well, the thing is, I don't know. I don't know your heart. I, I'm gonna, so I'm just going to continue to pray for you. Unless the Lord lays on my heart, hey, stop praying for that person. It happened in the case of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, he, this guy was praying. He was always on his knees praying for the people. And finally God says, hey, stop praying for him. <laughs> stop praying for him. So, but I don't think that's the point of John's verses here. And again, it's a difficult passage. You may have a different take on it. And I don't have the monopoly on biblical interpretation, okay? So you might have a better, a better take on it. And that's, that's fine. But this is what I think John's point is, is community. We're in a community of believers, and we're in a community of believers who sin. And so we need to be praying for one another. We really do. We need to be praying for one another. Praying for the, if they're in sin, we need to pray for their repentance and pray for their restoration. We also need, we're told in other passages like Matthew 5.24, we're to go to them and seek to be reconciled. Now that may not happen, but... We're to do our part, right? As far as it depends on you, be at peace with one another. So we're to do that. Matthew 18, if a brother or sister's in sin, we're to confront them, if necessarily, but privately. And you can read Matthew 18. There's a whole, there's a whole a procedure how to do that. And then Colossians 3.13, we're to forgive. We're to be, we're, in fact, we're to be fast, quick to forgive one another. And then Ephesians 4.32, we're to be kind to one another and tenderhearted. I mean, that, that, these are what we need to do because we're a community. We're a family. We're to do those things. Verse 18, he says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. I would probably venture to say this is another little bit more of a, a, a difficult one, too, because it depends on who him is and himself. Um, but John here is emphasizing or re-emphasizing, I should say, what he wrote earlier in chapter 3. And we've talked about that in chapter 3. Whoever is born of God, a born-again believer, does not practice sin habitually. Uh, that's what this, that's the Greek. That's how you interpret, interpret that correctly. Now, 
regarding the rest of this verse, the study resources that I use and the commentators that I trust, there's a ton of commentators out there. They all have different opinions, but the ones that I typically, I mean, I trust them. I trust, you know, their, their interpretation of things and the Bible resources I use. They all agree that in the original Greek, this verse says, uh, the verse, he who has been born of God keeps himself in the original Greek. This is what it's supposed to say. It's he with capital H, he as in Jesus Christ, who is born of God, keeps him, which would be you and I, the believer, uh, and the wicked one, which is be, of course, Satan doesn't touch him. That's in the original Greek. That's how this verse is supposed to be. Now, I don't know why the translators uh, wrote it the way they did. I, I can't give you an answer on that. But the ones that the people, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I'll just say that right up front. Um, but this is my understanding of this verse. But this is another verse that supports the truth, and that's this. Satan may, able, may be able to externally oppress a believer, but he cannot internally possess a believer. He cannot do that. Demon possession of a believer is not supported in Scripture. It simply isn't. 1 John 4.4, 4, for example, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Colossians 1 verse 13. He has delivered us. That's past tense. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So people can be oppressed, spiritually oppressed. I believe that. But you cannot be, if you're a born-again believer, you cannot be demon-possessed. And I think this scripture, this verse in 1 John 5, is another verse that supports that. Verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You know, boy... The world's financial, political, social system, it all lies under the sway of the devil. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the, he's the prince of this world. And the world's system lies under his power. I was reading an article, and you guys may have heard this uh, just the other day. You know, uh, so traveling cross country, you know, we leave Minnesota, and the gas is, I don't know, four or something, maybe a little under five bucks a gallon by the time we got to california and there was a few other spots we're paying about seven seven and a half a gallon so it's like whoa <laughs> pain at the pump talk about that this is what some the economic advisor white house economic advisor said the white house economic advisor brian d suggested the pain at the pump was a price americans had to pay for the future of the liberal world order in a cnn interview they just expose the game. Hey, the game is, you know, you think, wow, it's this war with Ukraine and stuff. That's what we're told. It's Putin's price hikes. This is intentional because there are people that want a global, they want us to be part of this global economy. This is what, you know, we read about it in the book of Revelation. The women in the Revelation study, they've been studying this. They know this that the direction of this world, this nation, but not only this nation, but all the world nations, all societies, is going to a one-world government where it will be ripe for an antichrist, the antichrist, to appear on the scene. We, we know that that's the end game. We know that this world is heading in that direction. It's not if, but when. It's a foregone conclusion. 
And we understand as believers the world lies in the power of the evil one. But you and I, man, we're of God. We're of God. What a, what a blessing. This earth is not our home. So I still vote. I still voice my opinions. I'll still be part of the democratic process that we're blessed with in this, in this country anyways. But, you know, I know what the end result is. So I'm not going to, like, get all up in arms because I know this is the direction that we're heading. I'm going to be focused on eternal things. The next thing that John talks about in verse 20 is comprehension. Comprehension. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That old saying, that old adage is true. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And that is so true for you and I as believers. In fact, Paul, Paul's prayer in, in, uh, to, the, to the Christians in Ephesus in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, he's praying for these believers in Ephesus. And he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a blessing. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to reveal Scripture to us, to reveal the heart of God to us, and we are able to comprehend. And I tell you, as you go through your life as a believer and you start realizing how much grace God extends to you and to me, and you experience how, man, His mercies are new every morning, you know, it just, it blows my mind that the Lord would allow me to be up here to speak to you. It blows my mind. It really does. There's times like, Lord, why me? <laughs> There's a lot better people that could be up here besides me. I, I think of that. Um, but just understand God's love and, and, and the blessings. The, the, you know, to comprehend the breadth and length, the height and the depth, will we ever, will we ever get to the point where I've, I've, I've experienced it all, I've seen it all? No, we never will. We'll never reach that thing. That's what our life as a believer is. We continue to experience God's grace. We continue to experience his love and, and, and to learn more about him. That's why I'm so, you know, I, I just, if I can't encourage you enough, it's to get into the word of God. Read your Bibles. Spend time with the Lord because he wants to reveal things to you. He wants to show you things. And you might say, you know, I've already read that before. Every time I go through scriptures cover to cover, man, I'm learning new things. It's never, it's never dull. It's always new. And so I just want to encourage you in that. But that was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And that's what John is saying here in verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Christ Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then as John ends this letter, he speaks about commitment. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's an interesting way to end his epistle, isn't it? Keep yourself from idols. You know, listen, God loves you. He loves you. But he's not going to force you to love him back. He won't. He won't force you to love him back. God wants to reign in your and my heart, but he's not going to force you to surrender your heart 
He's not going to force you to do any of that. God's not that way. It's a choice that you and I have to make. So that's why he says, keep yourselves from idols. That's one thing it's we have to do. We have to do. It's a choice we have to make. What is an idol? And I've said it hundreds of times before. An idol is something that, whatever it is, that keeps you from your relationship with the Lord. So it could be, you could name it, whatever it is, it could be an idol. You know? But here's another thing about idols, and the Bible talks about it all the time. Idols are dead, right? They're dead. They're, they're, they're just, they're dumb. They, they, they don't speak. They don't hear. You know, they, they're, they're, they're just something that a person puts their hope and their focus on. It's a cheap imitation of the living God. That's what an idol is. And so anything that you think is going to bring you joy or satisfaction or love apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a cheap imitation. It's a ripoff. It's a ripoff. And so keep yourselves from idols. Now, how do we do that? And I think there's a key to it is in the little children. That he addresses to little children. Why? Because, you know, think about a child. A child is a humble person. You know, children are not full of pride about themselves. Uh, they probably don't even know what pride means. You know, they're just, they're just children. They're just, they're just humble. They are very trusting. They're not, you know, it, when I was a kid, my dad said something. I, I trusted what my dad said. I trusted his word and I trusted him. You know, a child is just trusting. And what happens, unfortunately, is as they grow older, sometimes that trust is betrayed. And that's when we get kind of cynical and we get kind of, you know, because the person that we trusted, the person, you know, they, they, they blew it. They, they, they broke that trust. But a child's trusting. And a child is simple. It's just simple. You know, they're not, there's, there's no complications. They're just simple. And I think that's how you and I deliver lives as Christians, we're to stay humble. We're to trust the Lord. We're to trust his word. That's, you know, trust his word. First John five twelve. he who has the son has life. You don't need to add anything to it. It's not Jesus and, well, I got to do this or that. No, man, do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? It's, that's the thing. That's the key. So trusting and then just living life simply. Simply, we can we can make things so complicated in our lives. We just need a simple. We've got we've got one purpose, and that is to glorify the Lord God in this world. Uh, you know, I mean, I I have a job. I do. You know, we have careers. We have families. We have goals. We have, and that that that's fine. But my main purpose is to be a man of God. Is to be a Christian, not even a pastor. Is to be a Christian. It's to be somebody who is shining for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we get saved, God doesn't just like, it's like the first person. Can you imagine all the Billy Graham crusades have gone on? Someone accepts the Lord, and as soon as you accept the Lord, poof! It's like, well, half the stadium emptied again, you know. Praise God, they're all in heaven. That doesn't happen, right? We're on the earth still, and it's for a purpose. And that purpose is to shine a light. It's a purpose to lead others to Christ. I'm so blessed that Franklin Graham's coming to this, to this city because, you know, they do those in path. We can't call them crusades, but they used to do the crusades, right? And they'd be up in the Twin Cities or something. There's always somewhere else. And what a blessing to have them come to Rochester. I think that's awesome. And when you think about it, you know, uh, you know not to pump up the med you medical people, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, those that are involved with the medical community and stuff, think about the world comes here. 
to Mayo Clinic, you know. What a blessing if so many more people that are in the professionals were Christians and that could share the love of Christ with these people that are going to other parts of the world. Because I do believe in the last days there's going to be a great harvest. I really believe that before Christ's return. And I want to be a part of it. And I pray that you do too. So that's the end of 1 John chapter 5. That's the conclusion of 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to be celebrating communion together because we're a community. I want to focus on that this morning. And uh, so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And I'll invite the worship guys to come on up.